Today on CityCast Denver. There's a beautiful new book out this week delving into the sexual assault scandal that divided the football-loving community of Colorado almost 20 years ago. It's about the CU Boulder football team, the young women who came forward with sexual assault allegations, and the culture of abuse that produced a string of winning seasons. But it's also a look back at an overlooked precursor of the Me Too movement and the author's own personal experience with sexual assault. You know, lawyers knew about it, but I've seen books since then about Title IX sexual assault that have never mentioned this case ever. And I'm like, how could you not even know about this case? This is the case that started everything. Erica Krause's new book is called Tell Me Everything, and she's my guest today. Today is Thursday, March 17th. I'm Peyton Garcia, in for Bree Davies, and this is CityCast Denver. But we, we can get into it. And um, okay. it's, I'm saying it right, Kraus, right? Erica Kraus? Yeah, okay. Erica Kraus. Yeah. Okay. It's we, hard to say. It's like, okay, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we, we can get into it. Erica Kraus, welcome to CityCast Denver. Thank you so much for having me here, Peyton. So when most people hear about Tell Me Everything, I think they're going to hear that it's about the CU Boulder football team's sexual assault scandal of the early 2000s. But you never actually name the university you're talking about or the city that you're talking about in your book. Can you explain that choice to me? Sure. Um, so I, I would love to because I'm just a really like whistleblower type of person. Um, but I'd love to talk about like who and when and <laughs> all the bad guys, you know, um, and all the people who did the, the bad things. Um, but when what happens is when you identify sometimes when you identify a perpetrator or a you know a you know like the villain of the story um you inadvertently identify the survivors so and that was a priority for me is to keep their privacy um intact as much as i possibly possibly could so that was part of that decision to kind of keep that um keep that anonymous uh people people do their own sleuthing of course and um and the internet exists so there's um there's only so much that you can do, but I, I tried my best to sort of um, to to keep those things out of the book. Yeah. So so we'll just say it's an unnamed Division One <laughs> university in a foothills yeah. town near a very <laughs> right. specific rock formation. <laughs> right. Um, and we'll we'll leave it at that. Uh, right. We'll let we'll let the listeners decide what we're talking about. Exactly. Let's set the scene a little bit better for listeners because this isn't straightforward reporting, it's part memoir. Um, So can you tell us a little bit about how you became part of the investigation and part of the story here? Sure. I um, So I never really sought out to become a private investigator. It was just a weird thing that happened in a bookstore with a lawyer. Uh, I was you know, browsing the stacks and started talking with this lawyer and he started just talking a lot about his personal life and, um, and then he was very surprised that he was doing that. And I said, oh, that always happens with me. And that probably always happens with you, Peyton. You have that same face. <laughs> oh, thanks. Right? You, you, you have this, I, we're on Zoom, so I can see your face. I, I know people are probably like, I'll tell you everything about me. <laughs> um, so, and I said, oh, well, that happens a lot. And and immediately he saw a way to use that in his, um, you know, benignly use um, that in his practice, law practice. And he hired me on the spot as a PI. And, um, but I didn't have any experience as a PI. I didn't know what I was doing. So I, 
I, I really flubbed my way through the first few cases. And then he got this case, this amazing, it was a Title IX sexual assault case on um, where a, a group of football players and recruits gang raped a, um, a college student. And uh, and it was, there had never been a Title IX sexual assault before. This is totally new ground. So he hired me and it, it turned out, even though I had, kind of failed on the first few cases, this turned out to be a fit for me. Um, and it was something that I, it was, it was a, a, a case in which I sort of learned how to be a PI. Um, and that's kind of how I came to it. So I want to talk a little bit more about the university system. So you write quite a bit about football culture and the university system sheltering them. Um, and you talk about all these people who at the time were stepping up to defend the football players. Um, what was it like to go up against that in your work? It was interesting. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say uh, it was interesting when it was in person because those people are big. And they're scary. Um, and they, you know, as one of the uh, witnesses on the case said, their sport is to hit each other. So what are they going to do to me? Right. So and then you add to that the fact that, you know, a large percentage of them have brain damage um, because of the sport itself. It's I, I mean, it's an incredibly harmful sport. So you're dealing with someone who under normal circumstances might be a reasonable person but you add, you know, they're, they're, they've got um, mental problems and because of their brain injuries. And then they've, they're used to getting whatever they want because of their size. So it, it was like um, trying to learn another language to get along with, uh, you know, someone who, who has such a different life from your own life, um, a different set of privileges and disadvantages that you have to quickly adapt to a completely different culture. And I found myself... Um, feeling almost sucked into it at times, you know, like there's this, there's this strange, um, there's a celebrity around them, you mm -hmm. know, of course. And, but um, also I found myself pretending a lot, pretending to share their value system, pretending to, you know, believe what they believed about women, just so I could get them to say things. It, it was sometimes scary and sometimes thrilling. It, it was, um, I, I can't really describe it. I mean, the way you write about it was very intense. I mean, I felt like I was in those interviews with you and I was like, oh my goodness, what's she going to do? You know? Um, it, yeah. Yeah. I, I can only imagine. So your book, it tells two stories side by side. One is the allegations against the football players. And then two, it's your own story about surviving sexual assault. And, and you're very candid in the book. Um, and reading that, the two stories, they kind of build on each other. They're very much entwined. Do you think you could have written this book without that personal piece of it? I wanted to. I tried to. Um, that's That was what I wanted to do. I, I really didn't want to talk about myself. I'm a fiction writer, but I, I, you know, I've written two books of fiction before this. So it's not like I don't. I don't write about myself, you know, but I realized that it was, I was just being a coward really, um, you know, because I was writing about these exceptional, exceptional women who at physical danger to themselves, a great emotional risk. Um, and, and it turned out financial risk too, to themselves, they were coming forward and they were talking about what happened to them. And so I couldn't do that for myself, but I'm going to write about them. Who, who, who would I be to do that? Right. So, it, um, I realized that I I really had to show that this was 
this was really my story too in a different way. Um, and, uh, or I, I wouldn't have the integrity to write about the people I was writing about. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. Well, I mean, I just have to say reading the book, coward is the last word that would come to my <laughs> mind for you. Um, oh. You write so beautifully. And I really did feel like the two storylines were so interconnected in, in a really tragically beautiful way. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. With that inclusion, what do you hope that readers take away from your personal story? Mm. You know, when you grow up in those kinds of situations and um, with those kinds of traumas and tragedies, it's really easy to feel like you're the only person in the world who's who's going through that or who has gone through that. Um, and, and as you grow older, uh, the world doesn't really contradict that. But I kept thinking, I can't be the only one in the world who've, who's been through this. I, I really can't. It's, it's statistically impossible. And I kind of hope that um, maybe somebody else will feel less alone or they'll feel like, oh, I had an a, um, experience that was nothing like that. But I still feel those feelings. I still have the same feelings that, that you had, you know. And, you know, well, I don't, I have a, um, a real aversion to reading, like, the scenes of, of abuse, so I didn't. I didn't write those. Um, I really wanted the book to be safe to yeah. read, um, but I am very interested in coping and um, how people cope with abuse, with, how people cope with trauma, how they cope with their past. I, I think that's really interesting. I think that's something we all have to do, even even if what you're coping with are world events like we're dealing with now, right? Um, or you know, the pandemic. I think I think we have a a greater understanding of all the ways that things can feel or be traumatic to us and have long-term effects, um, even if it's not, you know, getting knifed in an alley or, you yeah, know, being yeah. sexually assaulted. You know, it was actually, it was, it was shocking because that was really only 20 years ago. And those themes, those issues and themes are so common in conversation today. Um, but it, it wasn't the case 20 years ago when the scandal was playing out. Um, so what surprised you about looking back at the story post me too post the me too movement it's very different now in in really good ways i mean the same things are happening let's face it like <laughs> um football teams in colleges are geared toward winning and that's and whatever it takes right is is often the mentality especially in certain states um so not a lot has changed in in certain practices, but what has changed is the eye on it, um, the understanding of it. Before this case, uh, there wasn't really the the understanding that a school's responsible for what their team does. It was like, well, oh, those are individual criminals. They, those are individual people who committed those crimes. And, and are they really crimes? You know, th there's this sort of attitude like, well, you know, is this really what happened? Or can we, can we even believe these women? Or maybe they just wanted, they just want to be with a football player and, the, and um, they get upset afterwards that, at their own behavior or something like that, you know, um, is, was the attitude I kept coming across. But definitely since Me Too, there's been a, a movement really toward um, believing women, right? You know, <laughs> and because it really sucks to come forward. It's not like, oh, I'm going to do this for attention. It's awesome. I'm going to just revel in this wonderful attention that people are going <laughs> to give me along with their death threats and their, you know, their 
shaming talk. Uh, so, um, so I think there's just a much better understanding now. So what uh, what's ending up happening is on the back end, um, there's better enforcement of the law. On the back end, people are feeling a little braver to come forward. I I believe. Um, I hope. Uh, since since this case and all the subsequent sexual assault um, Title IX cases, uh, because it's no longer this new ground, it's no yeah. longer this like, you know, oh, well, it's your fault. You shouldn't have been there in the first place right. kind of idea. So the case, at the end, no one was charged. No one really got punished. Um, it seemed like nothing really happened except the girls who stepped forward, their lives got turned upside down. Um, so what were you hoping for in writing this book now? Well, some things did change. Well, a lot of things did change, actually. Law changed, right? The NCAA, uh, yeah, they they had to change rules. They changed they changed their rules. That university changed their um, their policies, and they actually became a front runner of like Title IX uh, enforcement. They that university actually set a lot of standards now because they had to as part mm. of the settlement they um they had to change their policies so this the set, it was very very important to the plaintiffs that the university changed what they do so they changed what they did and they actually it improved them vastly for example the fact that there are title nine coordinators at schools that didn't happen before um so if there is a violation a student or a faculty member or anyone can can go and and rectify it you know um and it's the fact that this is a federal law is um is backed up in reality now um so it set a precedent for the law and i know that feel like if you're not a lawyer you're like whatever but um but really it did enable all those other cases to happen um so you know the plaintiffs their their lives were turned upside down but i you know i have to think that they're they feel proud of what they accomplished you know i i mean i if I were them, I, I would feel incredible. I feel like, well, that's that's a huge contribution I made to, to women, really, and to society. Um, you know, what I hope the book will do, honestly, is uh, shine a light on this case. This case was amazing. It changed everything in the field of sexual assault. And this case really didn't, it, you know, lawyers knew about it. But I've seen books since then about Title IX sexual assault that have never mentioned this case ever. So, and I'm like, how could you not even know about this case? This is the case that started everything. And from then, everything changed. So I really wanted people to know about it um, and and what these people accomplished, what, what these these women did to, yeah. uh, change, to change life for the rest of us. What do you think the impact or maybe legacy of this has been locally? for Colorado, for that community? Mm-hmm. Well, I think um, they were, you know, the team and the the state, they were in such a spotlight for a long time in a negative way. It, you know, this case was on ESPN and it was, you know, in the New York Times and the Washington Post. And it was, it was, um, they were seen as um, villains. And, and, you know, honestly, that's because of their behavior, you know, the way they reacted to the case. So um, legacy-wise, I do feel like for a while they, they um, th- you know, they had a hole to crawl out of. And I do know also that since they changed their recruiting practices, that team, they, did, they weren't win- winning anymore. And they have this, um, one of the uh, survivors of the football sexual assaults um, 
I think I call her Nina in the book, and they they now they call it the curse of Nina because yeah. they because <laughs> they are now you know they haven't had those like big wins. Wow, that's insane. Yeah, yeah. So so, but again, you know, you have to ask like is is winning, you know? I think it's changed a little bit of the the idea. Like winning a game is not and should not be more important than a, a woman's life. I'm hoping there was a value shift in the community. Well, Erica Kraus, thanks so much for joining me on CityCast Denver. Oh, thank you. These are such great questions, Peyton. You're such a good interviewer. And I know that your your listeners can't see your face, but you have that face. You could be a PI. <laughs> you could rock it. I'll think about <laughs> it if, uh, if this whole podcasting thing doesn't work out. Here's what else is happening in Denver today. We've been talking about restaurants all week because, duh, it's Denver Restaurant Week. And I'm thrilled to report that the James Beard Foundation has narrowed down its list of finalists for Best Chef of the Mountain Region. And all five finalists are from Denver and Boulder. How cool is that? The winner will be announced in early June. And finally, happy St. Patrick's Day. Many Denverites celebrated last weekend at the parade downtown, but there's plenty more to do today and all weekend. I'll be recommending some events in today's CityCast Denver newsletter, and I'll drop that link in the show notes. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, write up a review about it wherever you listen to podcasts and rate us five stars. Extra points if you mention your favorite Denver donut joint in there. We're still collecting recs for our next local food battle. So text us your favorite or leave us a voicemail at 720-500-5418. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye. Uh, a message? Like, hi, mom. She listens every day. She might be disappointed I'm not brief.